It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Welcome to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro. Hello, Dick Morris. Sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. So, why is Trump still winning? Uh, why is he still in contention and way ahead? Uh, he has four criminal indictments. He has two civil verdicts with a combined liability of almost half a billion dollars. He's been found guilt, found uh, indicted by different grand juries and faces every prospect of at least one conviction, albeit for ridiculous charges. And so why is he still winning? That's the question all politicians in this country are asking. Because he was the greatest president ever? Yeah, that's <laughs> right, but that's not really why he's winning. Right. Uh, that's the strategic thing, that's the backdrop, but why is he able to convert that into winning? Now, of course, part of it is Biden is so decrepit that ultimately nobody can really vote for him uh, with any enthusiasm at all. In fact, most of the people voting for him don't really believe he'll serve out his term. So they're really voting for a year or two-year presidency at the most. And the people that don't want to vote for him aren't going to vote for uh, Trump, but they're not going to vote for him either, just as good. And But the big thing, it seems to me, is that the charges against him are not that serious. Right. So he may have overestimated his assets to secure a bank loan that he repaid promptly and in full. So what? He may have spoken too harshly about a woman he was accused of sexually harassing, but not of raping. Again, so what? And he may have paid Stormy Daniels from the wrong bank account. So what? He may have retained possession of archived classified documents for too long and been less than forthcoming in producing them. So what? Right, the only right. two charges that are serious enough to threaten his lead among voters are those at issue in Jack Smith's federal indictment and Fannie Willis's Georgia prosecution. But Fannie Willis has problems of her own yeah. and won't be in a position to pursue a case if it turns out that she has a, it turns out she has a lot more to hide than Trump does. And Jack Smith's prosecution may be for a crime about which Trump had immunity. Even without immunity, it's obvious to everybody that Donald Trump did not lead a revolution or attempt to overturn the results of an election by force. Right. The demonstrators who stand accused of acting on his behalf were all unarmed. And with these charges out there, these, these very drastic seeming charges, I mean, the one seems to be uh, a charge of... Uh, of, of Harass, sexual harassment, another seems to be a charge of bank fraud, another seems to be a charge of paying off someone to keep quiet. Right. But none of these charges are really enough to defeat him. They're all pity-pat punches. And the only thing that is important about these charges, again, in, from the point of view of opposing him, is that if he's found guilty of them, you can come back and you can say, he's a convicted criminal. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a label that, you know, that, that isn't a good idea to have, but it's not lethal. 
Well, now it's watered down, too, because I've been doing this with him for how many years now? And everybody understands that the conviction is not about murder or some horrible thing. Uh, it's about retaining some documents right. longer than he should have or paying Stormy Daniels out of a campaign account, not a personal account. So no wonder it's not bringing him down. There are two other reasons that are important. One is that when you take the charges that they're making against Trump and you talk about them, there's no oxygen left for any other charge. I mean, you may have a case of, of opposing Donald Trump on the grounds that he's raised the national debt. You may have a case for opposing Donald Trump on the grounds that he took too long to, uh, to uh, make a decision about Ukraine, right. Right. or that, that he, uh, I mean, any, all kinds of minor things. But or they let uh, oil uh, go, go too high at, at one point. I mean, every trouble even groping for them. But, <laughs> right. but the point is that, is that none of these charges mean anything uh, compared, to the, uh, c compared to the charges they're trying to make against them. I mean, when you say, oh, Donald Trump might be guilty of rape and he might be guilty of insurrection to overthrow the government and he might be guilty of, uh, of lying on to the federal government about classified material. Okay, all that sounds pretty bad, but, but when you actually look at the charges, there's nothing really there. And the result is that there is no room for a normal campaign against him. There's no room for a normal range of issues that you could use to oppose him. And that's, that, that is ultimately the problem that the opponents of Trump face. Uh, and the other problem, of course, is that all of Trump's opponents praise him. Now, they're all too afraid of losing his supporters. So they don't criticize him. They don't come after him. Chris Christie was the only one who ever did. And, you know, he talked himself out of a political career, basically. So it's... That, that's the other reason why he's hanging in there so effectively. There may be a case to be made against Trump's re-election. Did he handle COVID properly? Did he alienate our allies? Did he add too much to the federal debt? Has he failed to take global warming seriously? But there's no room or oxygen to ponder these issues. They've been overshadowed and drowned out by the criminal charges against the former president. And, and that is the big problem that they have. They can't get out of their own way in that sense. Right. Now, the, uh, so, so in effect, the charges against him are in some sense bowing him up. Um, and where are we going from there? So when you look at it, when you look at all of these charges and you look at Trump's standing, isn't he really still the one? And in four primaries now, they've said he's still the one, and they're going to say it in all the other primaries. And the idea that Trump uh, is, is, uh, is, is in danger is just absurd. But all of this begs the fundamental question of how amazing Donald Trump really is, how absolutely incredibly amazing this guy is. 
he is a treasure for this country. Uh, he may be one of I, we'll, we'll see when his second term is over if his achievements rank among the greatest presidents. But clearly, his character, his stamina, his ability to withstand the slings and arrows are unbelievable, and they qualify. That alone qualifies him for Mount Rushmore. Uh, anybody else would be phased by this, would be daunted by it, and uh, but Trump is not. And that is absolutely amazing. Hit it. He is absolutely amazing. I mean, remember, this guy is 77 years old, and, uh, and he's human. And for him to be animated the way he is, now eight months before the election, and having done that for, three, for two years before he was elected, and then for the four years of his term, and then for the three years since his term, and been aggressive and energetic every moment, never depressed, never laid back, Never, uh, never letting events take their course, but in there constantly fighting and constantly moving it is just the most amazing performance one can yeah, imagine. And, and he works around the clock. The guy's what does he get? Five hours sleep? Yeah, I think he's always up. I and think he, that it's not, he's unbelievable. His energy yeah. at seventy-seven. It's it's very hard to believe that, and we just need to say a collective prayer of thanks yes. for Donald Trump. Yes, I like that. This is not a normal politician. This is not a normal human being. This is Donald Trump, a totally sui generis person who is who has no equal and has no peer. Right. I agree. I agree with that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Ukraine. The war in the Ukraine that now has gone on for two years is vital and is essential for the United States. It is vital and crucial that we defeat. I'm sorry. It is vital and crucial that we defeat Vladimir Putin. He can't be allowed to get away with what he's getting away with. If we let Vladimir Putin go, and we let him conquer Ukraine, he's next going to go after Moldova. Then he's going to go after Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. Then he's going to go after Poland and God knows when he'll stop. And this man is a vicious, horrible, deceitful, dirty, dirtbag, scum. scum. Uh, he murders people who are his political opponents. He murders them when they're in other countries. He has assassins follow them and poison them. And his style of leadership is the worst you can imagine. There has never been... You have to reach into the annals of Stalin or Hitler to find someone who is as as ruthless and as as horrible as Vladimir Putin is. And if we let this act of uh, invasion, this act of just thuggish saying that you have it and I want it, uh, stand, it's going to be replicated over and over again. And I know that where many people are tired by the war in Ukraine. Many people think we've exhausted a great many resources, and we shouldn't. There are many who say that Ukraine is, is not worth it or is not a good enough country. But come on, 
uh, if you let Vladimir Putin go and you let him take over, uh, this is going to be a landmark event in world history. And it's going to have just the same effect that letting Hitler take over the Sudetenland and then letting him take over the Czech Republic mm. and then letting him invade Poland. Uh, and then take on Britain and, and topple France. It's the exact same order of magnitude. And we've been through this once, we've been through it several times, and it's, we cannot let this stand. Uh, so whatever the cost is, whatever the taxing on our patience is, whatever the depletion of our reserves are, we must do this. We must stand firm. And we're not. Uh, the the appropriations for Ukraine are teetering in Congress, not because of opposition to the war in Ukraine or opposition to the U.S. arming of the Ukrainians. There's strong support for that. It's that when Biden proposed increasing aid to Ukraine or even just continuing it at current levels, the frustrated Republican conservatives in Congress said, what about our border? What about protecting our border? Why don't we do that? So they tacked on provisions to strengthen border security. And, and, the, and when they did that, it really complicated the whole case and made this issue not about Ukraine, but about American immigration policy. And then the Palestinians invaded Israel, and that got added into the mix. So left-wing anti-Semitism got into it. And by the time you finished, actual debate on Ukraine was a minimal part of the overall conversation. And then on top of it, you have the issue of government shutdown and uh, Johnson's strength and uh, the power of minority Republicans to affect mm. stuff. And at the bottom of this heap, the bottom of this garbage heap of ancillary issues, lies the question of whether or not Russia should be stopped in Ukraine. And uh, it is just impossible to see how complicated this has become when it should be so simple. Right. There is no American life at stake. There is a significant amount of American money at issue, but we've got plenty of it. There is no issue of saying we have to choose Ukraine over our border. They're entirely different appropriations pots, and one requires high weaponry, the other does not. And uh, But somehow or other, they become merged. And this has absolutely begun to validate Putin's view that the U.S. can never get it together to defend its allies. And uh, the other aggressors are watching. China's watching closely. North Korea's watching closely. And the message they're getting is the U.S. can't get out of its own way. Uh, if it decides to step in and help an ally, it's going to triple over itself in its own partisan gridlock. And there's no consequence for defying what the U.S. wants and what the world opinion wants. And that is just a terrible situation. When we listen to guys like Tucker Carlson and others who are basically in favor of Putin and permit Putin and don't see anything horrible about him, or if they do, it's just lip service, we cannot listen to that. We must be focused on protecting Ukraine from this aggression. It's absolutely... Putin is not losing patience. Vladimir Putin is not worried about other priorities. He continues to poison and kill and draft and maim his opponents and everybody who is in his way. 
There are now thousands of children who have been kidnapped by the Russian army uh, who are being held hostage oh in Ukraine. Oh, my God. We're talking about the Gaza hostages. They were the Ukrainian hostages, who are many, many more. Uh, but yet, Americans are so blinded by pressing issues like the border and other stuff that they can't see through that to get to the basic issue of Ukraine. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Thank Here you. I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Last week, we invited many of you to a lot of you to come to a book signing that I had. Oh, it was, was great. by the Women's National Republican Club uh, in Manhattan. And they were expecting, I think, 50 or 60 people and 100 showed up. 122. <laughs> and I was very grateful. It was a wonderful opportunity to speak. And I particularly wanted to thank, thank Sandra for setting this up and uh, making it work. And, boy, she did such a great job. And thank you, Sandra. Now. Hi, Sandra. Hello, Sandra. She's on, right, guys? Sandra? Oh, oh come on. Right. She dropped. She'll call us back. Now, there is the most amazing thing going on in politics in the last year, which is how Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley blew the most important opportunity oh, of their lives. Stupidity. Pure stupidity. Uh, overambition, uh, overconfidence. And, and just premature uh, desire to, to win when there was no basis for believing it. Misled by consultants, deluded by the amount of money they were able to That's raise. really what it is, right? They, they have fundraisers. Yeah. People throw money down their throats so they wanted to use it. Exactly, and down their throats. And the people who gave them money probably wouldn't even vote for them in a general election. They'd probably <laughs> vote for Biden. <laughs> but, wow. But they you gave, might be right about that. But they gave money to Haley because she wasn't named Trump. And by wow. the time you sit back and you look at it, you realize what these two threw away. Hit it. Once I hit mountains in the palm of my hand and rivers that ran through every day That must have been made I never knew what I had until I threw no. it all away. So, DeSantis, he came off the election of 2022 in very strong shape when the Republicans didn't have a red wave and narrowly won the House and lost the Senate. It, and while DeSantis was winning by 20 or 30 points, it created a myth that Donald Trump can't lead the Republican Party, hmm. but Ron DeSantis can. And he rode that myth uh, for the entire election. And based on that myth, he, dug, he put his candidacy out there and attracted a lot of support. Now, the myth was totally outrageous because the fact of the matter is that DeSantis was losing the race for governor of Florida in the primary. And then Trump intervened at his request 
and he succeeded in turning it around, and DeSantis won the primary, won the election, and then got a re-election in 22. So it was as much Trump's doing as DeSantis's, but that's not the way politics worked. So everybody who didn't like Trump in the first place and wanted to get rid of him suddenly latched on to Ron DeSantis and said, DeSantis is the answer to our prayers. We don't have to put up with Donald Trump anymore. And then DeSantis made the most fundamental of mistakes. He said, I am not going to campaign or even announce until after the Florida legislative session is over. If you're taking notes, political science kids, focus on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Should he have announced early, or should he have respected the legislature and not announced while they were in session? This is going to be one of those historic storms. Yeah, that's good. That's good. (laughs) And, And he made just the absolute wrong decision. He waited too damn long. Uh, He won the election for re-election in November, and he didn't announce his candidacy for president until May. And in the intervening five months, Trump pasted the living hell out of him and talked about his position on Social Security cuts, Medicare cuts, uh, and and he just destroyed him in that interim. And he looked worse and worse, and he couldn't defend himself because he was allegedly not running. And by the time he surfaced, and by the t- there was actually a poll, I looked it up, in early March, that said that DeSantis was ahead of Trump in the Republican primary, three ahead of Trump in March. He, and that was this buildup when from November, December, January, February mm. into March, the assumption that DeSantis could save us from Trump. <laughs> and then Trump responded to that with very strong negatives and very effective answers. And uh, DeSantis just had no defense for himself. And he sank lower and lower and lower. And then finally, by the time he got it together to declare his candidacy, not because it was time, but because the legislature was out of session, he ended up in the tank and couldn't crawl out, Uh and his political career was over. Dumb move. Fundamental mistakes I've ever seen a politician make. And uh, Nikki Haley is in much the same situation. Uh, Haley uh, completely blew her opportunity. After DeSantis lost, she stepped up. And the anti-Trump forces said, great, we have a new winning candidate. And this time it's a woman. This time it's somebody who we really think can win. And as always, she was, had huge amounts of money thrown at her by people who effectively wanted to, uh, by people who effectively wanted to destroy Trump any way that they could. So Haley got into the race. She'd been in, but she upped her campaign. And she said, it's a two-way race. And then she began to savage Trump and go right. against him. And Trump was, of course, describing accurately her positions on Social Security and everything else and was really, uh, really hurting Haley badly in the polling. And at that point, Nikki Haley should have said, okay, I've campaigned hard, but I'm still behind and I want us all to unite and defeat, and defeat uh, the president in November. Uh, we've got to beat Joe Biden. And I'm suspending my campaign to go right. after Joe Biden. And, and, and point, he would have loved her for that. At that point, it was very possible that she would become the vice president. 
And right. It's very possible that Trump Stupid. would have loved her for that. Right. And that she absolutely could have salvaged her career. Endorsed him in South Carolina. He would have been like, oh, it's beautiful. What a stupid move. Instead, she just stayed in there out of stubbornness and short-sightedness. Once again, the money people. The money people. That's what... The- and her own political consultants who don't make money unless she runs, who have a vested interest in making sure, hey, let's you and him fight because I'm making 15% off the race. Right. And they basically threw it all away. And uh, it is just criminal to watch that happen. I'm glad it didn't happen to somebody who I like better. Right. Yep. So let's go to George from Massachusetts. Hi, George. Uh, hi, Dick. Um, I have a like a um, a line that I think should be put into a commercial for Trump, <laughs> and, and the line is: Under Joe Biden, Americans are paying more for everything, while illegal aliens pay nothing. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, that's yeah, good, of course. Uh, but let me talk about the illegal alien issue for time immemorial. Uh, that is for the last seven or eight years. When you ask people what's the major issue facing America, it's always been the economy. And uh, it's been some variant of it, whether it be inflation or unemployment or something. But in the last three or four months, certainly within the last six months, immigration has moved up to a point where it's now the major issue facing the country. And what the, what's happened is that the issue is no longer confined to the border states. It's no longer just an issue in Texas or in Arizona or in California or New Mexico or Florida or New York. It's an issue now all over the country. It's become the national issue. And it segues directly with other issues that are like crime and uh, revenue for illegal immigrants and benefits for illegal immigrants and all kinds of issues that go way beyond uh, the normal scope of illegal immigration as an issue. And it's become an issue that, that is tremendous for Trump because it's entirely caused by Biden. Everybody knows that there was no illegal immigration under Trump. He sealed the border. And that's an amazing achievement And put within the context of the current open border that we have, it is an amazing accomplishment and something that really bolsters Trump's strength. So this is all changing in a very dramatic way, in a very positive way for Trump. So this election that used to be close and used to be a slight Trump lead over Biden is becoming a blowout. Hit it. Chicago. The latest Harris poll, Harris X poll, shows Trump defeating Biden by 46 to 38. 46 to 38, a six point, an eight point lead. Unbelievable. Among Democrats, Trump is defeating Biden by seven. I'm sorry, among Democrats, Trump is getting 14 percent of the Democratic vote against Biden. Among independents, Trump is beating Biden by 40 to 30. And Robert Kennedy is at 12% of the vote, continuing to soak up a lot of support in this race. 
So this is no longer just a close election. This has become a total and complete blowout. And I don't think we really understand that. I think we're still back in the days when uh, Biden is a little ahead of Trump or Trump a little ahead of Biden or seesawing back and forth. But this ain't no seesaw now. It's an absolute total and complete blowout. Now, when we come back, I'm going to talk about the Senate, which is not a blowout and which is much closer. And we'll talk about that when we come back. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Okay, now get out your pens and paper or your calculator and take all this down. I'm going to go through the briefing on the Senate race, Senate races, and it's a obviously a more thorough briefing than you'll get from any place else in the media. And it's up to the second, literally. Right now, going into this, there are 49 Republicans in the Senate. So, and Trump is going to win. So the vice president will break the tie toward the Republicans. So if they win one more seat, they probably win control of the Senate. And that one more seat is absolutely in view in West Virginia, where, uh, where undoubtedly uh, the, uh, the West Virginia will go Republican. Manchin is not running again. And uh, Jim Justice, who is the governor and a very popular governor, is way ahead. And even if he loses, there's a primary, and a guy named, uh, I forget his name, is, is running in the primary with a pretty good chance. But don't what just justice is going to win and take that seat, and that will give us control of the Senate. Then, <laughs> in looking for other seats, there are four good possible Republican takeovers. And remember, if we lose all four, we still have 51 vote control. But the four are Arizona, Montana, Ohio, and Nevada. Take them one at a time. Arizona, Kerry Lake, having lost for governor, is now running for Senate. And she's got a three-way race going on, where she's the independent. Ruben Gallego, a Democratic congressman, is running. And Kristen Sinema, the Republican senator, is running for re-election, and she switched parties in the middle of the term and became an independent, no longer a Republican. So it's a three-way race, and that's what Kerry Lake needs is a three-way race. Several times she's run well, but always fallen short of a majority. But now she has the chance to win without a majority. It's still very close, though. There were two recent polls one by J.L. Partners that has Lake in first place at 40, Gallego in second at 39, and Sinem in third at 13. And then a more negative poll by Emerson that has Gallego in the lead at 36, Lake next with 30, and Sinema trailing with 21. And you can see the dynamic in those numbers. The higher Sinema goes, the lower Lake goes, and Gallego's base, which is a Democratic Party ethnic base, basically doesn't change. It's like a seesaw. One goes up, the other goes down, but in the middle it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And so that dynamic is going to go on. 
and the harder that Christian cinema runs, uh, the more likely it is that Gallego wins. The less she does run, the less likely it is Gallego wins, and the more likely that at that lake wins, and that becomes a Republican seat. Interesting. So at this point, you can't call that race as anything closer or farther away than a toss-up, hmm. but that's what it is. The second possible Republican takeaway is in Montana, where John Tester has been a senator for, I think this is the third term, fourth term, and he is in fact the dumbest member of the Senate. <laughs> I know almost all of them, and he is absolutely the stupidest. I wrote about him in a book uh, five or six books ago about the ultimate example of a totally incompetent senator. And he's always had weak opposition, but this time he drew a very strong opponent, Tim Sheehy, S-H-E-E-H-Y. And Tim is a former, uh, whatever, special forces or SEAL, uh, who, uh, whose face was destroyed uh, in a military operation and he looks okay now, but you can see all the scars. And uh, he's currently trailing Tester by 49 to 40, but it's really a lot closer than that. Because until a week ago, she, he had a tough primary against Matt Rosendale, who was the incumbent congressman. And Rosendale was running, and she, he was neck and neck with him. But then Rosendale dropped out, I suspect because Trump endorsed she. And uh, she, he has now moved clearly into, into second place with a very good chance of winning. There was an interview the other night that was really affecting um, about spinning off the abortion issue where uh, Sheehy's wife had an abortion and she was talking on air with Tim there with the love and support that he gave her during that period and how difficult a decision it was to terminate the pregnancy and how Tim Shee stood by her every minute of the day. It was a very affecting interview, and I think Sheehy has an excellent chance of beating Tester. And remember, it's Montana. It's one of the most Republican states in the country. The third state where we have a good chance is Ohio. Mm. And there, the incumbent is Sherrod Brown, who is the most radical member of the Senate, if you including Bernie Sanders. If you take everybody's voting record and you compare it, Sherrod Brown comes out as the leftist of them all. Really? And uh, Ohio has shifted. When Brown was first elected, it was a swing state, uh, tending a little Democrat. But now a real population change going on in Ohio, and it's become much more Republican. Trump carried it easily. It was never as a swing state. And this is the first time Bar Sherrod Brown has, has to run in that environment. And it's a, there are three candidates running, uh, two Republicans opposing each other for the right to run against Sherrod Brown. But the moment the race is tipped sharply in favor of Bernie Marino, who has gotten the endorsement of President Trump, at the moment Sherrod Brown is at 39% of the vote and Marino is at 37% of the vote. Uh, and in another poll, there's a one-point difference. There's another candidate, Frank LaRose, who is the former uh, who's a congressman, but he's dropped really way, way back. And I think Marino has an excellent shot at defeating Sherrod Brown. Remember, Ohio is the place where, uh, where, the, uh, the Senate, where Vance, J.D. Vance, won the Senate seat uh, in a very tough campaign, and it's one of the only seats which were Republican takeaways. So 
we have an excellent shot at winning with Marino in Ohio. And Zeg and I have met with Marino. We spent uh, a couple of hours with him. Got to tell you, the guy is incredibly brilliant. Brilliant. He has the same kind of brain that Bill Clinton did, but hopefully a better character. And uh, he would just be a, he's a fabulous, fabulous candidate. And he's a car guy, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, he's a car dealer, right? No, but he's a car guy. He knows cars. So tell him about it. Well, no, I was just, I picked his brain a little. We were talking about Ferrari and muscle cars. I mean, it was just great. The guy was just smart. He knew, he knew what he was talking about. He couldn't, couldn't uh, get me. Okay. <laughs> All right. The, um, the third race where we have a good shot at winning, in addition to Arizona, Montana, and Ohio, is Nevada. And there we have a very, very strong candidate, very much like uh, Sheehy in Montana. His name is Sam Brown. And he was a special forces or SEAL or something of that sort and uh, and had a wonderful war record and is a young, charismatic, vibrant candidate. And his opponent is Jackie Rosen, who has been the Democratic senator for a couple of terms, very low profile. Nobody really knows she's alive. She was put in there by Harry Reid when he controlled Nevada and was the leader of the Senate. And she's never really lived up to her billing. And in the poll yesterday, Jackie Rosen was at 40 and Sam Brown was at 38, right on their heels. So I think there's an excellent chance of a takeaway in that race. Mm. Uh, and I think Brown will be an incredibly good candidate. And then there's a fifth race that we could win that's really unusual. Maryland. Now, Maryland is one of the most democratic states in the country because it doesn't really exist. It's a D.C. suburb. We all like to think of Maryland as, oh, uh, Francis Scott Key and Baltimore and the Star Spangled Banner. In fact, it's a suburb of, of Washington, D.C. Washington is so grown that it's filled over its borders and has made Maryland a solid democratic state. And because it's a solid democratic state, the only Republican that can live in Maryland is a way over liberal Republican, a classic rhino. And his name is Larry Hogan. And he's been the governor for two terms. And I don't agree with him on anything except the fact that he's a Republican. And he's classically a rhino, Republican in name only. But that's good enough for me because they count just the same as whether they're rabid right-wingers or whether they're reluctant dragons. And uh, Hogan has a very good chance of winning. He's got two possible opponents. One is David Trone, the incumbent congressman, and he's about 10 points ahead of him. And the other is a woman named Angela also Brooks, Prince George's County Executive, and he's eight points ahead of her. So that's a race that Demo Republicans never counted on, which we might well win. So we win whatever happens because we win West Virginia. Then we win four, up to four states that are genuine swing states, Arizona, Montana, Ohio, and Nevada. Mm. And then a throw-in as a parting gift, Maryland. Could <laughs> go as high as, 45, as, as 55 seats. Now, there are two races that don't look so good. One is in Pennsylvania, where Dave McCormick, who lost the primary to uh, Dr. Oz last time, mm -hmm. is running. And he's opposed by Bob Casey, who's in his fourth term. And Casey's leading McCormick by 49 to 39. So that doesn't look good. It's always possible McCormick is very wealthy and might be able to pull that out, but I'm not sure about that. 
And the other is Michigan, where there has it's been very late in deciding. Uh, Michigan hadn't matured as a race until a few weeks ago. Uh, there's an open seat in Michigan because Debbie Stabenow, the Democratic senator, is retiring unexpectedly. And her place may be taken by Elise Slotkin, S-L-O-T-K-I-N, a Democrat. Uh, but she looks like she's going to walk into that race uh, and uh, and has a very good chance of winning, of, and has a very good chance of winning the Republican primary. But it now appears that Slotnick has two strong possible opponents, both Republicans. Robert Meher, M-E-I-J-E-R, who's a congressman, who's at 36% of the vote, and Mike Rogers on the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Appropriations Committee, Republican, that's also that's at 38%. And Slotnick is at 36. So at the moment, she's tied with Mijan, and she's uh, and she's behind Mike Rogers. Now, that race has not matured, really, because originally everybody thought Robert Craig was going to run. He's the police commissioner in Detroit. And he switched parties and became a Republican, but, uh, but he's not, the party hasn't really recovered from that. And it became a Democrat, I'm sorry. And the party hasn't really recovered from that. So Michigan is very late in deciding what's going to happen. So we've got one definite takeaway in West Virginia. We have four in Arizona, Nevada, Ohio, and Montana. We have one that we don't really deserve, but we may pick up in Maryland. Uh, and that's where the race is at this point. So when we come back, let's look at the big loser in Donald Trump's litigation, the big loser in the civil litigation against him. It's not Donald Trump who has to pay $450 million, which he probably won't have to pay much of. But he's not the big loser. The big loser is New York State. Yep. And we'll talk about that when we come back. You're a loser. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. So the real loser in the Donald Trump litigation uh, is turning out to be New York State because real estate and other hedge funds and other people are pulling out of New York State as a result of the verdict. And uh, New York is absolutely going to take it on the chin for this, and it, couldn't, it was very well deserved. But Billy Joel, I think, summed it up really well. Hit it. New York State's new theme song, I'm Moving Out. <laughs> That's real horrible. Est real estate mogul Grant Cardone announced on Tuesday that his firm, Cardone Capital, would no longer underwrite, underwrite New York real estate. And Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary vowed to no longer invest in the state as a result of the verdict. 
Cardone ordered his firm immediately discontinue all underwriting on New York City real estate. The risks outweigh the opportunities at this time. Recent political decisions will continue to deteriorate price and benefit states that don't have these challenges. Focus instead on Texas and Florida. Cardone said, when that Trump ruling happened, it was like pencils down. Don't touch it. Don't go there. We invest for 14,000 investors at Cardone Capital that depend on cash flow. And if I I can't predict cash flow because of some ruling or because of the migrants or because I can't evict people, New York City just needs to keep doing every single thing they can to sell real estate in Florida but not in New York State. O'Leary called New York a loser state and told Fox Business on Monday that he would never invest in New York now, and I'm not the only one saying it. Now, the governor, Kathy Hochul, said, there's nothing to worry about because they're very different from Donald Trump and his behavior. She said that Trump was really an extraordinary, unusual circumstance and that New York would not be so aggressive to another investor. O'Leary responded to Hochul's comments, saying every investor is worried. O'Leary said, where's the victim? What, who lost money? There's some arbitrary decision a judge made. This policy, what does that say about the bar, about the legal bar in New York? Aren't they going to question this judge? What is this? I'm sorry her words fell on deaf ears to everyone, he continued. There's nothing she can say to justify this decision. And this has nothing to do with Trump, nothing to do with Trump. Forget about Trump. This is not a Trump problem. This is a New York problem. I'm shocked at this. I can't even understand or fathom the decision at all. There's no rationale for it. The Canadian businessman, often called Mr. Wonderful, described New York as a mega-loser state for business. And New York is already a loser state, like California is a loser state. There are many loser states because of policy, high taxes, uncompetitive regulations. I was already, it was already on the top of the list for being a loser state. I would never invest in New York. Instead, O'Leary said he'd be looking to Oklahoma, North Dakota, and West Virginia for future investment opportunities. These are winner states. They don't change things like this. Um, joining, and so Cardone Capital now joins Goldman Sachs, which is moving to Texas, and hedge funds pulling up stakes for Florida, and private equity titans like Blackstone leaving for Miami. Bloomberg estimates the two trillion dollars, that's with a T for trillion. trillion dollars in assets, have already left New York and California for Texas, Florida, and other Sunbelt states. Wow. The mass migration is taking a toll on New York's and California's tax revenue base, as well as career prospects for financial workers. In 1990, a third of all U.S. financial jobs were in New York. Last year, the share is down to 17%, half as much. Wow. So New York has shot itself, not just in the foot, but at a considerably higher part of their anatomy. Now, while that's going on, we have another phenomenon, also in the private sector, which is that the companies that were promoting ESG investments, which is environment, state, and governmental investments, 
but basically we're telling firms, invest your money in left-wing causes like climate change, right, right, right. saving whales and stuff like no that. No matter what the yield. Yeah, and if it yields less, well, you're being socially responsible. <laughs> now, J.P. Morgan Chase and State Street have pulled out of the world's largest coalition of groups waging financial war on fossil fuels. According to Reuters, J.P. Morgan and State Street made the move to quit the group climate action 100-plus on Thursday. At the same time, BlackRock, the world's largest investment manager, transferred its membership in Climate Action 100 to its international norm. According to the New York Times, these decisions are a total hit of worth $14 trillion in the, on the ESG funds. Uh, in other words, it's, t- it's tightening the reins on some of the wealthy, most powerful corporations in the world to force them into even greater compliance with the green agenda. But that's too much for the masters of the universe, who claim such disclosures would threaten fiduciary duties, according to the New York Times. So they're looking for investors who will take lower returns, but for amorphous social gains, which may or may not be produced. And Bob Dylan from the left had a really good commentary about that. Bob? You say you're looking for someone who's never weak but always strong to protect you and defend you. Whether you are right or wrong. Sandra from New Jersey. Someone to open each and every door, but it ain't me, B. No, 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 it ain't me, B. It ain't me you're looking for, B. Sandra from New Jersey has been on the phone now, and she's the one who set up this marvelous book signing event for me last week that I hope a number of you were able to come to. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much, Sandra. You were great. Oh, it, it was such an, a spectacular event. The ballroom was filled with such energy and such adoration for you, Dick, and Doug, you too. It was very special. But I called because I have two questions. One, with Nikki Haley, like after the election, Fox News was saying that 40% of Nikki Haley's voters will not vote for Trump in the general election. Yeah. They say that that will prevent him from winning. So I want you to yeah. straighten totally, that out. Totally untrue. Uh, the, last, the latest polling shows that Trump is winning 96% of the Republican vote. So for, and the four, you'll never feel the 4%. On the <laughs> other hand, Biden is losing 17% of the Democratic vote. Because I'm an old guy. Thanks for calling, Sandra. Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. 
Welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Uh, Biden has finally made up his mind and settled on a program to wipe out $1.2 billion of student loan debt that would be a relief to 153,000 borrowers. Now, to be eligible for the latest round of student loan debt cancellation, borrowers must be enrolled in the new alternative to student loans called Income Driven Repayment Plan, IDR, dubbed SAVE. The requirements are they have to have been making repayments for at least 10 years and have originally taken out $12,000 or less for college. All borrowers on SAVE receive forgiveness after 20 to 25 years, depending on whether they have loans for graduate school. The Education Department said so far it's canceled more than $138 billion in federal student loan debt owed by 3.9 million borrowers. So this is Biden's latest attempt to try to win back the Gen Z vote, voters under 30, who have left the Democratic Party massively. The, the defection is unbelievable. It dwarfs even that by Latinos and blacks. Uh, the exit polling data shows that in 2020, the Democrats, led by Biden, carried Gen Z voters by 25 points. And now in the polling, Trump is leading them by 10 points. What, what, what age are they again? I'm sorry. Under 30. Under 30. A 25-point shift. And so Biden's attempting to counter that by the student loan forgiveness provision. And uh, it's good that the student loan forgiveness is related to the income you're earning uh, after you left college or law school. But uh, the, it's a futile attempt to win back these votes. Uh, the people, the, it, it completely misunderstands the character of the Gen Z voter. They are not voting for somebody simply because they're going to get some relief from the government. That's a factor, and they'd like it, but they know there are a lot of factors at play. They know that a lot of Republicans supported the relief and, and so on. But the main thing is that they suddenly have gone from a, an environment in their lives in which things looked really good to things looking really bad. When they were growing up, uh, they had parents who talked about the upward mobility they would feel, uh, the progress that they would make, and, uh, and really talked up their prospects. And they grew up feeling very optimistic about the world. And then they were plunged into an environment where they're in a downward economic spiral. And uh, the, demo- the under 30 voters have never recovered from that. And that is really the major reason that Trump is moving up as much as he has. Uh, I just was reading a book where they said that in the past, marriage was romantic. Now it's practical. Right. In the past, sex was fun. Now it's dangerous. (laughs) In the past... um, Well, sex can be dangerous. Yeah, and can be fun, but the idea is what's more important. I don't know. Depends. And then the other thing is that in the past, gender equality was something you could savor and you could support. Now it's something you have to have because you have to have a two-income family in order to exist. Right. 
and all of the all the romance, all of the hopes, all of the inflated expectations for that generation have just gone away, and it's become a grim struggle against reality. Uh, they can't move out of their parents' basement. They can't have kids. They can't get married. They can't get a car. They can't buy a house, and all of these dreams just completely go up in smoke. And they're in a world where uh, sex and movies and violence are all essential parts of their lives, and they and and it's it's a become a cruel and bitter childhood. I think this is the first generation. That has not done better than their parents. Yes, if they are. I, I, I think this is it. They are. That's true. That's pretty horrible. And you're really hit. They're really hitting it now. You know, Sandra's come back on. So hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. I don't want to be a pest, Sandra. but I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I, I, want, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the RNC. How should we be feeling about them? Because. I learned this morning that they want to have certain uh, restrictions, like you have to secure 1,200 delegates, and they don't want to pay any of his legal bills. I guess I can understand that. But, I mean, are they really rooting for Trump or what? That's really what I want to know. Yeah. They weren't. Uh, they're controlled by Karl Rove, uh, who is one of the anti-Trumpers. And uh, the RNC has basically been loyal to the Bush family, and not to Trump. But then last week, Trump engineered a coup d'etat and put Lara Trump in as the coordinator of the RNC, threw Rona McDaniel out, and, uh, and, and brought a team of definite pro-Trumpers into the RNC. Um, we'll talk a little later in the show about Trump's legal bills and what they'll do. But the basic answer to your question that I'll elaborate later is, yeah, there's been a big change in the Republican National Committee. Thanks for raising that. Sandra. And thank you so much, Sandra, for last week. Now, we My just pleasure. talked about the difficult. Okay. By, by the way, Dick, before you get into that, you're talking about sex could be dangerous. There was this old guy that was telling me his wife came home. The other night it was his birthday and he was like 80 years old his wife was really young and she said honey for your birthday i'm gonna give you super sex and he says at my age i'll take the soup oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> i had to do it i could not do that one that's good um so while the gen z people are hungry for their paycheck joe biden made a revelation on february 4th that was incredible. The Washington Post quoted him as saying, I have never been gainfully employed in my life. You know, I mean, I've never cashed a paycheck in my entire life. You think I'm joking, I'm not. Why would he say that? <laughs> so listen to the president's words again. I've never been gainfully employed in my life. You know, I mean, I've never cashed a paycheck in my entire life. You think I'm joking? But I'm not. This it's not pretty apparent when... Yeah, it's not a joke. You're a joke. He is a joke. Yeah, because he's on the arm, as we say. Yeah, on the arm. Explain yeah, that. He's you're on not. the arm. When you get a little uh, throwback from uh, some of the boys. From China. Yeah. You know what I mean? For whatever. You got vague, or you want to call it whatever. He's on the arm. Um, Trump made a comment the other day that was really fascinating. He said black people like him because he faces the same discrimination in the legal system that they do. 
He said that black people like him because he has faced discrimination in the legal system, which is something they can relate to. I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time, and a lot of people said that's why the black people like me, because they've been hurt so badly and discriminated against, and they actually viewed me as I'm being, as that I'm being discriminated against as well. I'm being indicted for you, the American people. I'm being indicted for you, the black population. And you I'm, being I'm being indicted for a lot of different groups by sick people. These are sick people, Trump said Friday night. Uh, it's, and Trump then uh, went on saying that, in his two-hour speech, saying that uh, he support that black Americans uh, understand that the corrupt system they live in can lead to great evil. Some of the greatest evils in our nation's history have come from corrupt systems that try to target and subjugate others to deny them their freedom and to deny them their rights, Trump said. I think that's why the black people are so much on my side now, because they see what's happened to me happen to them. Trump said black Americans showcased their support through their embrace of merchandise emblazoned with his mugshot. Mm. <clears throat> my mugshot, we've all seen the mugshot. And you know who, who embraced it more than anyone, the black population. You see, black people walking around with my mugshot, you know, they do shirts and all this stuff for $19 each. It's pretty amazing. Millions, by the way. You know, uh, you know, Rudy, I spoke to Rudy a while back after they did the mugshot, and he said he called Trump that morning. And he says, well, you know, uh, Mr. President, what do you think we should do? You know, make a smile face, a mean face? And he went on and on. They talked about the mugshot. Well, I'm so glad he didn't do a passport photo, <laughs> you know, the smiling face. Or, or driver's yeah. license. You see my smiling face on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Ah, you know, Rudy had me photograph him with all three faces, and he asked me to show my friends. Have them pick which one they think that you Yeah, do. that's good. Uh, next time we're indicted, we'll suggest that. <laughs> That's great. Now, a songwriter named Jim Tweedy, who I'd never heard of, sang this, which I think is relevant to this. know what it's like and I think that Trump and make is making common cause really with black people by explaining that he understands what it's like to be discriminated against targeted and have everybody come down on you and I think that's really interesting and it's a reality they could see that he's getting arrested and these things are happening it it's sure not like is. he's just talking about it in my past now there was a very important development on the abortion front this week which is that the court in Alabama made a crazy, ridiculous, outrageous ruling that said that uh, embryos uh, that have been frozen and are not, have not been used are really living children and that, the, and that it has to, they have to be preserved. The Alabama Supreme Court ruling led some providers in the state to suspend in vitro fertilization. Trump, in a post on Friday on his Truth Social Network, said, 
Under my leadership, the Republican Party will always support the creation of strong, thriving, and healthy American families. We want to make it easier for mothers and fathers to have babies, not harder. The old Republican Alabama Supreme Court, among the nation's most conservative judicial panels, ruled that frozen embryos can be considered as children under state law. And since then, some Alabama clinics and hospitals, including the University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System, have announced pauses on in vitro fertilization services. Now, this is totally crazy, absolutely absurd, that, you know, when they're doing in vitro, they harvest egg, eggs, eggs by the millions, and they take a small portion of them, and they fertilize them, and that results in in vitro fertilization. Right. They take others, and they use it for research. But to call those children is crazy. And I think it's politically very significant that Donald Trump has chosen to distance himself from the craziness. Uh, it would be very easy for a Republican candidate to step up there and talk about, oh, these embryos are sacred and human creations and human beings in waiting. And, uh, and Trump's not doing it. He's saying that I'm in favor of healthy families. I want to make it easier for mothers and fathers to have babies, not harder. Right. And Support I think that's adoption. very politically significant mm -hmm. because it shows that Trump is not willing to go off the deep end on abortion. And he's not going to be a tool of people that would carry him to a crazy extent on that issue. Uh, so I really applaud that, and I'm very heartened by it. I was worried that he would go the wrong way on it. Now, you know that ever since I've been talking on this show, I've been talking about the idea that the Republicans have got to start doing what the Democrats are doing, which is to take full advantage of the law that allows early voting aggressive poll watching, and ballot harvesting. And uh, I wrote a book called The Return that says that we'll never win unless we start adopting democratic tactics. Mm. Not of fraud, not of, of lying and cheating, but of using the law effectively. Now, Lara Trump, the wife of President Trump's son, Eric, uh, has been coming out in favor of that point of view. She calls for massive ballot harvesting. She said Republicans need to be urged to vote early, not just on election days they typically have preferred. She wants to see a Republican National Committee program for training poll watchers and expanding nationwide, expanded nationwide. So these are both very important initiatives, and they really answer the question we had earlier about the Republican National Committee. Uh, they have been slitting our own throats by saying vote on election day, don't trust mail-in right. voting, and, and wait until election day. Bad strategy. And when President Trump has proposed that and talked about that, I've shivered inside. Oh, my God. And sometimes I've shivered outside. Yeah, but, and you spent six, eight months t telling him not to yeah. do that and, all the time on the phone. And I think, we're, I think I'm finally getting somewhere, yeah. and I'm so heartened that Larry Trump sees it that way. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very important. Um, Diana Ross has an interesting thought about that. Yes, 
it is indeed our turn. We put up with uh, the with using every extreme in the election law, every loophole you could possibly use to lie, cheat, and steal in the 2020 election, and now it's our turn. And we're not going to cheat, we're not going to steal, but we are going to use the law to its full extent. And that involves early voting. We'll talk more about that after the break. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Hi, welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro, sponsored by the Patriot Group. Let's go to Mimi in New Hyde. New Hyde Park. Hi, Mimi. Hi, Mimi. Okay. Okay, make it George in Massachusetts. Oh, we've done him already. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go to Sal in Staten Island. Okay. Okay, Gary in Staten Island. Uh, I, I support President Trump who wants peace with Russia, not war. I support President Trump who says peace with Putin. And I just salute the conservative Republicans who try to uh, defund the Ukraine war, World War Three. And uh, I'm proud to come out and say that. And, and we have to stop these these bloody wars. America first. Yeah, well, I agree with all that, except the war is because Russia invaded Ukraine. There's no issue here of Ukraine having invaded Russia. And when one country invades another, just as it says, hey, I'm taking over your whole country and your land, locking your people up, taking away the right to vote, uh, taking away your freedoms, uh, th this isn't a value-neutral conversation. Uh, this is uh, one side's right and the other side's wrong. Now, I agree with you. We don't want to get into World War III, and we don't want Americans to be killed in this. But uh, we're doing fine without that. And if the Congress would simply continue to authorize the aid at current levels, the Ukraine is doing just fine on its own, uh, and, uh, and we'll probably end up winning this war. Now, let me say this. Having said that, I think that the United States should tell Ukraine, look, guys, you were being threatened with your whole territory. There was a serious chance that Russia would take over your whole country and make you all prisoners. Mm. But the United States gave you the weapons and the money, and you've given your lives and your blood, and you protected your country. And you're now at a point where 85% of Ukraine is in your hands. Only 15% is in Russia's hands. Okay, stop. That's it. You, you've done enough. I know you're worried about the people in Donbass, but we're not about to open our treasury and bleed ourselves white for Donbass. We will for Ukraine. And the Ukraines, Ukrainians aren't doing that because of their own momentum. Uh, they've been so focused on stopping Russia that they can't now sit back and say, well, We'll let you in a little bit, Russia. You could take a little bit of our country, right. but not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that that's, would be seen as a betrayal. 
And because Ukraine is a democracy, they can't play games with their people. They have to be uh, they have to be careful about it. So I believe that, but I do believe that the United States has to stand with Ukraine. And just when you have a bully like Vladimir Putin, uh, it's great to talk about America first, but that includes the world. And uh, I favor America first over Putin, over Russia. And uh, it's a good thing that we're doing that. And since we found a way to do it without putting American lives at risk, I think that's the course we should take. But thank you for your call, Gary. I appreciate it. Let's go to Kamala in New Jersey. I assume not Kamala Harris, but hi, Kamala. <laughs> hi, Kamala. Kamala. No. <laughs> um, another company that's leaving New York. How much of that cackling say, was you and how much was the take? <laughs> is it Kamala or Camella? It's Kamala. Kamala, uh, I constantly get, oh, Kamala? No, it's Pamela. Pamela, okay. please. Good. <laughs> don't, okay. don't confuse me. Um, New York State, <laughs> another company that's leaving because they say New York State has lost its soul, is the oldest gun manufacturer in America, 200 years old in the Mohawk oh, yeah. Valley, Remington, Remington Arms. Mm. They're going to Georgia. They've got a brand new factory in Georgia, and they're leaving. Yeah, well, what a shame. it's a shame. And, and you know, the self-destructive policies of these Democrats is unbelievable. And uh, they just don't care. They want to send us all down the same road as Detroit has been, which is that they, uh, they just have become a hollowed-out state. And uh, it is just awful to watch that happen. It seems like they hate one man more than they hate their country, more than they love their country. You know, the, the Donald Trump thing, they hate him, and they just going to destroy. They don't care what happens to the state or anywhere else. That's the problem. Nowhere is the not caring what happens to the state or anyone else more on display than the refusal and unwillingness and, uh, and intimidation of the New York City Police Department so it does not prosecute shoplifting or do anything to stop it. Uh, instead, these stores that have been there in many cases for generations are going broke because people are stealing all of their merchandise. And then, in the definition of chutzpah, uh, the left says, oh, protest the closing of these stores. <laughs> well, <laughs> what was that? I didn't see no, that. They wouldn't close if you didn't steal their, yeah, all their merchandise. Morons. Let it happen. Moronics. Uh, but, the United, but the police department is not prosecuting them because it can't prosecute them because the liberals have basically eliminated the crime of shoplifting. These people are sick. Somehow the crime of shoplifting has become like prostitution. It's become a victimless crime. Right. Uh, or they deserve it. Oh, downtrodden. Yeah, well, <laughs> they oh. deserve it till the next van shipment arrives. You know what's amazing? Then the van will be empty. I walk through the city every day well, when I'm up there, right? And I always say thank you to the cops. And I don't go out of my way, blah, blah. I just go, hey, thanks. And that's it. And, you know, a lot of them light up when I go, hey, hey, thanks, buddy. And they, oh, thank you very much. It really is horrible how many mean people are out there against the cops. But what I find incredible is the extent to which New York State's implosion is a self-inflicted wound. Implosion, you say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's like assisted suicide. And, wow. And they, so that they pass laws that permit people to walk out of the store with refrigerators and <laughs> yeah. 
TVs and stereos and have no consequence. And then when the store closes, they say, oh, my God, where can you get a refrigerator? Yeah, right. Where can you get it in the ghetto? And then that's got to fall off the truck type of thing. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. And they just don't get in touch with the consequences of their own actions. Uh, th there was a big movement a while ago about you can't buy groceries in the inner city because all the stores have closed. Well, yeah, okay, why did they close? They closed because of shoplifting, and that happened because the cops weren't enforcing shoplifting. Wow. So it's, so it's a completely self-inflicted wound. And then you look at this Trump verdict and how it's causing the whole financial industry to leave New York. That's a self-inflicted wound. These are all the assisted suicide of liberals. You think they ever think about it? No. I, even now that this has happened, next year you think they would think about it and say, wait, maybe we shouldn't do this? Well, again? I think at some point they're going to have to. They're going to have to because they're not going to have anything to run. At some point, as Margaret Thatcher said, you run out of the other, other people's, people's money. money. Right. And, uh, oh, it's, God, the, uh, so the New York and California are just totally destroying themselves. This stat we talked about two weeks ago, nine... 150,000 New Yorkers have left the state in the last three years. How many? Nine, almost a million. Almost a million. And 1.2 million people have left California. And these are entirely self-inflicted wounds. There was no earthquake. There was no hurricane. There was no gigantic flood. There was just the policies of the state legislature resonating through the state and making it impossible to stay. And you have to figure the people that left were working people because they didn't want their paychecks going somewhere. So the people that are paying their taxes and giving New York revenue are leaving. And the people yeah. that aren't, that are sucking it dry, are staying. So yeah, that's big... precisely and exactly true. Oh, God. The, when you look at the stats about the average income of the people that left, it's like five times the average income of the people that stayed. Right. So, so you're keeping people that are draining the system. Uh, and you're uh, throwing out the people who are strengthening the system. Wow, there's a there's a calculation, a Dick Morris calculation. I want to hear next week. <laughs> yeah, well, it it is incredible, and and it really means that it's unsustainable. Really, when you go to Detroit, I had the chance to do that the other day. It's like walking. You look at the streets, and it's like looking in the mouth of a of an old homeless guy. Every other tooth is gone. Oh, uh, it's it's like <laughs> this building's gone, that building's gone, the corner building's gone. There's one building here and another building there. Right, and right, that's, right. That's what his teeth look like. And the building isn't that is falling out. Yeah, also, is falling, falling apart. apart. Right, what's uh, left? And we're well, becoming that. It just seems like every city that the liberals run turns to garbage. It just that just seems the way it is. You know, San Francisco, Detroit. Yeah, yeah, and there's on. no there's no check on it, nothing of that sort, uh, and it just is continuing. You you look at the fact that in California, there is effectively a thirteen percent income tax rate uh, on whereas in New York and it's under ten, and Connecticut it's about seven or eight. In California, it's thirteen. So in California, you have to pay the federal income tax. And the state income tax, that's, that's about half of the federal income tax. Wow. So your total tax burden, if you live in California, is way over 
So you give half of your income to the state and federal government. I wonder what the percentage of people on the welfare and, you know, on the dole to the people that are paying taxes is in, in California. Yeah, well, it's changing dramatically. The The welfare rolls are rising and the taxpayer rolls are shrinking. But you don't know the number yet, do you? Uh, you will soon, I'm I will. sure. Yeah, it'll come out. Uh, uh, and and they're, they're just totally destroying themselves. And uh, the liberals will do that until until they've actually died. Uh, it's almost an animal behavior. And uh, there's no room like, to like what, what do they think? The world's going to swoop in and save us? Like we always swoop in and save everyone else? Yeah, they don't think in those terms. They, they're, they're so self-obsessed and so self-absorbed and so into their own problems, some of them on drugs and drinking and other stuff, that they just don't think in those terms. There's no sense of responsibility. There's no sense of consequences. You know, Dick, I, I, not to change the subject, but I think you should talk about uh, General Flynn's uh, guard to vote. Yeah, I will, but let's talk about that in the next segment. Okay, okay. Okay, good. When we get back, one of the important things that Lara Trump is doing is urging mail-in voting. <clears throat> and I think that that's very important. That and early voting are the two keys to winning in 2024. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. So many people ask me about ballot fraud and how we can stop it. And the typical thing, thing is, should they say, oh, yeah, Trump is way ahead and that looks really great. But how are we going to stop them from stealing the election? And they think of poll watchers and fraud and uh, ballots arriving by truck in the middle of the night. And those are all very important issues. But there are two things that we can do that will stop and overcome ballot fraud in totally. And most of, the mon most of the votes that we lost in 2020 were not the result of ballot fraud. They were the result of early voting and mail-in voting. Just start with the basic statistic that <clears throat> Donald Trump carried, early, carried the people who showed up and voted on election day by over two to one. And Joe Biden carried the ones who mailed in their voting by over two to one. Hmm. Uh, those, that's the most important stat. You don't need any other stat. And obviously, we know the history of that. Nancy Pelosi was very happy with the COVID epidemic. Mm -hmm. And she said, don't go and vote in person. It's mm -hmm. not safe. Vote by mail. And uh, the state authorities all worked on promoting vote by mail. Not so they could protect their population but so that they could rob the votes, they could steal it, because they knew that voting by mail was much more susceptible of theft than voting in person. Okay, we know that. But don't take the next step, for God's sakes, and say we're going to only vote in person, and we're not going to vote by mail, <clears throat> just because they will. Uh, it's, it's slitting your own throat. Right. You decide that you're going to vote in person. Okay, and you're only going to vote in person. So each day goes by and you're not going to vote early and you don't vote. And then on election day, your, your, your son or daughter gets sick 
or something happens or there's a there's a household emergency and you can't vote you've lost the chance to do it with a mail-in vote or an early vote you don't have to worry about that and in this election when our country is at stake our society is at stake our whole idea of who we are as a people is at stake we cannot permit hundreds and thousands and millions of voters to stay home because they made a mistake, uh, because they didn't follow the clock, because something came up. And we just have to stop that. Uh, and uh, the, the early voting and mail-in voting is absolutely key to the Republican success. Look at Pennsylvania and the vote for president in 2020, in 2020, I'm sorry, in 2020. Biden got 1,995,000 mail-in votes. Trump got 600,000. Okay? Wow. 2 million versus 600,000. And Biden carried Pennsylvania it's by 2%. Advertising and hype and what you... And mail-in voting. Uh, that's what I mean. So there, there is no... Re- and, and the mail-in voting is very safe. Dropbox is a questionable because you're putting your, some, your vote in some place that's not it's an not official federally, receptacle. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, tampering with the mails is a federal felony. And nobody tampers with a mailbox. Right. And uh, you can put your ballot in the mail and be completely confident that it will be counted. Ditto with early voting. Early voting just assures that you're going to get that vote in, that you're going to get that vote cast, and nobody's going to screw around with it. Your attitude toward early voting should be, I've waited for four years to cast this vote. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to cast it as soon as I possibly can. Right. Because get it we've out got there. to get rid of this president. We've got to change the country. And sure. Thank God I can vote early. And uh, then I'll have great peace of mind, and I can devote all my energies and money to getting other people to follow suit. We can't go into elections like we did the Pennsylvania Senate race in 2020, where before they opened mail, before they opened the voting boxes, Fetterman is ahead by 700,000. Wow, votes. it's impossible you to catch up. You can't close that in, in one day. No way. And this is entirely not just not a product of laziness. It's an ideological preconception that Republicans have that they must lose, which is the idea that if we do early voting, we're playing into their hands. Or if we do mail-in voting, we're playing into their hands. If you do early voting and you do mail-in voting, you are ensuring against ballot fraud. Right. There's no way this election will be stolen if the bulk of the votes are cast early or the bulk of the votes are cast by mail. And, and just don't go near the drop boxes. Yeah. To stay away from Put that mailing. From U.S. postage boxes because right. that's, that's the only secure thing you can do. Right. So, and we also have General Flynn. That's yeah, and then, then the very important effort led by General Michael Flynn to protect the voting integrity at the polling booth. His concept, which is brilliant, is to get all the sheriffs in swing states to deputize people who are campaign workers to go in and make sure the election is honest and equip them with the power to arrest people if they're stuffing the mailbox or when they're engaging in anything which, which can uh, undermine the integrity of the vote count. So at the moment, send money to fightlikeaflynnpack.com. Pack, P-A-C. Fightlikeaflynnpack. 
fight, F-I-G-H-T, like a Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N, pack.com. Fight like a Flynn, pack.com. That's it. Let's go to Eduardo in Tampa. Hello, Eduardo. Hi, Eduardo. In, Tam- in Tampa. Okay, okay. so. Hello? Well, I think what he's calling about is Hello? the illegal immigrant. Oh, he, oh, there he is. You there, Eduardo? Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay. I addressed What you got? Yeah, uh, the Georgia um, illegal that uh, show that uh, nursing students. I mean, these ladies, need, they need to be going out in groups because this is, whether it's an illegal or somebody else, because of the mental health created by post-COVID, you're going to see a lot of this. You see a lot of family members now are being killed by other family members, too, because yeah. of mental health. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. Well, of course, the guy who committed the murder shouldn't have been allowed to be in the United States. That's obvious. And uh, when we talk about the need to curb illegal immigration and do deportation, start with a list of almost a million people who have committed felonies in the United States that should, that were not here legally, that came here illegally and then violated our laws again by robbing or killing or doing some other mayhem. And uh, this student in Georgia would have been alive. I'm very encouraged that people are focusing on that because we tend to think of the crime issue as related to toughness and cops and uh, law and order and sentencing reforms and stuff like that rather than what it really is, which is illegal immigrants. One of the statistics the U.S. government refuses to publish, and you can Google all you like and you'll never see it, is what percent of the felonies are committed by people who are here illegally. They'll, they hide that statistic. And they pretty much have it. It's, they know it, and it's not published. And yet these are folks where we have their names, their addresses, their photographs, their fingerprints, in many cases, their biometrics, and uh, and yet we don't prosecute them. Let's go to Christoph in Manhattan. Hi, Christoph. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Listen, I, I, I love listening to you, but I totally disagree with you about the early voting. I live in Manhattan. I'm terrified of putting my ballot in the mail and having it go to somebody in New York State to count my vote. And I remember three years ago when I got a mail-in ballot that I didn't ask for, it, it had an R on it, like that they could tell who was voting. Mm. I, I think the early voting is, is it, it's, it's ripe for, 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 for robbing yeah, but us. Christoph, let's, let's start. I, I don't agree with you, but start for a minute, back up a little bit. There is nothing wrong with early in-person voting. There's nothing wrong with that. The polling I, I didn't place. know you could vote early in person. I thought you do mail mail it early. In. I <laughs> am, but there's also voting in person early. In in New York, I, I believe in New York in every state. Uh-huh. I'll check it out. But oh yeah, yeah. I, there's no question that when you vote early, if it's in person, you're fine. Uh, and uh, in terms of mail in voting, uh, I'll have to check that. But I think that the the percent of people votes that we lose. Because people don't come okay, in person. Who, who, counts, the, who counts the mail-in ballots? Who physically counts them? The Board of Elections inspectors, one for each party. In New York, they're probably overwhelmingly Democrat and can't necessarily be trusted. But, uh, but that is no reason not to vote. Uh, because the, 
you know, I have to check it out. I have to really research that, and I will. I'll get back to you. I can understand the, uh, your trepidation of sending your uh, vote in the mail, Chris, but... do me a favor and call in the next show, and I'll have a better answer for you, okay? But I could I see that, yeah. Okay. And I, but I could see that it's more important to mail it in and hope for the best at that point to get the early vote in. Hopefully we're on a better side of that. Well, there are, there are two issues when you're talking about mail-in. The first is, does it ever get there? And the second is, who counts it when it gets right, there? Right, sure. And does it ever get there? We're talking about the U.S. Postal Service. And uh, if, there were a, if there were a significant number of ballots that were sent in that never arrived, uh, you would find people in jail for that. Right. Uh, they take the sanctity of the mails very seriously. And, and once again, stay away from the drop boxes. Now, once they arrive, the que- are they tallied accurately? Right. And do they do a good job of that? That's the question, and I don't know. Him. Well, that's where General Flint comes in also. He's going to have people yeah. looking into these swing states and what's going on. And it's uh, send money to General Flynn. It's fight like a Flynn pack. Dot com fight like a Flynn F L Y N N pack and that's P A C dot com fight like a Flynn pack dot com so important he needs the money to keep this thing going that's it so thank you we'll be back in a minute it's Sunday and you know what that means and this is the Dick Morris Show presented by the Patriot Gold Group here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC clowns to the left of me jokers to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you yes I'm stuck in the middle with you hi welcome back to the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. I have an answer for Christoph, who called in in the last session. Uh, Early voting in New York State begins 10 days before Election Day and ends on the Sunday before Election Day. And if you request an absentee ballot, you plan to vote with it. You can drop off your completed absentee ballot at an early voting site while polls are open. There you go. However, if you choose to vote in person after requesting an absentee ballot, you will have to vote with an affidavit ballot at your polling place. The ballot will look different. Ask for a poll worker for help if you need it. So early voting in New York State begins 10 days before Election Day and ends the Sunday before the Tuesday election. And if you go in person and you drop off your early vote, there is no chance that you're going to be that you're not, not going to be counted. Okay. Uh, if you choose to vote in person after having requested an absentee ballot, you'll have to vote with an affidavit ballot that you can get at your polling site. Now, the polling sites are different in, in early voting. Uh, you must vote at your assigned early, early voting site. Early voting site may be different from your election day poll site, so be sure to check before you go. How do you find find my site? Uh, the, the go to nycvotes.com, and there's a guide to how to find it. Uh, so the answer to your question is, yeah, you definitely can vote early, and you're not going to be screwed out of your ability to vote. And we're, so, we're going to put this up again next week, just once again. 
So, Christoph, relax. We're going to be okay. <laughs> Let's go to Jim in Manhattan. That was so nice of you, Dick. Hi, Jim. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Doing Good. great. You know, many, a lot of Democrats are old-time anti-war liberals who hate the military-industrial complex. Had two invasions of Ukraine and costly wars under two Democrat presidents, and with Biden we have this costly, dangerous Mideast war. Uh-huh. Trump, no Russian invasions, innovative Mideast peace treaty, no Mideast war. Yep. We should be appealing to the anti-war liberals who don't want yeah. war, because that's we, what Trump did. We are. I think it's a very big element in Trump's base that there have been no wars and that he clearly is opposed to foreign wars. Uh, I think that, that that's a big part of what's going on, and uh, and I think that that we can stop that, uh, and I think that and I think that we need to uh, emphasize with the anti-war anti-war vote that Trump has held the peace, and and I think that that's a very important element. You know, we tend to see Trump as to the right of the Democrats, but when you deal with war and actually committing American bodies to a conflict, you you are not dealing with Donald Trump. He's determined to resist that and avoid that. Just the fact that he got rid of ICE, I keep saying this, I keep repeating it, that alone should be a legacy for Donald Trump, that he got rid of ISIS, that what did Barack say, what are you going to have a magic wand and wave it around? Well, he did it. That alone is making so many people, first of all, still alive and safe. I had to do that. So, it's good. Now, Andrew in New Jersey wants to talk about Trump's what? He, he, we might have lost him. I don't know yet. Did we no. lose Andrew? You okay. Hi. Exactly on the pattern you guys are talking about in the last caller, should be a comparison. Trump, when he spoke out, how he compared himself to the black community and inequity in the justice system. But he failed to mention that it was Joe Biden who co-authored the 1994 crime bill, and it was Trump that reformed it. Right. And that was a huge miss. And also he missed, again, when he said... Barack Obama didn't get the good deal for Air Force One like he did. He should have said Obama had a two-year supermajority, and he he said that the 94 bill was inequitable, yet he didn't right. do anything. He didn't get it done. Let me just explain the sentencing reform, because I'm not sure everybody's up on it. In 1995, 1993, in Bill Clinton's anti-crime bill, It included a provision eliminating judicial discretion in sentencing because judges had so abused it that really serious criminals were getting off with slaps on the wrist. And the Clinton bill said that that set mandatory minimum sentences for each category of crime. And for drugs, it related to the quantity of the drugs seized, whether there was resistance involved, whether there was any violence Mm -hmm. involved and all kinds of measurements like that. And judges just had to look at, read the table to figure out what the sentence should be. It was a be. formula, right? And the judges went crazy about that because they said judicial discretion is part of our duty and we shouldn't be required to give sentences when we think it's unjust. And then a lot of publicity emerged, a real liberal campaign, to change the mandatory sentencing law. And the law was filled with examples of getaway cars or of of girls who drove their boyfriend's cars and didn't realize there were drugs in it. As accomplice, you mean? And when when the boyfriend was arrested, 
they were too, and yeah. they made no distinction mm -hmm. between whose drugs it were, because they didn't know and they didn't care. Sure. And uh, there were a lot of inequitable sentences passed. So Trump introduced a sentencing reform, where first of all, he clearly distinguished between those who were engaged in the criminal enterprise and those who just were there. And he spent, and he really zeroed in on eliminating victimless crimes and zeroing in on real crimes. Uh, and he passed that, which was a very difficult bill to pass, but he got it through Congress and deserves a lot of credit for it and gets a lot of credit with the black community. Let's go to Dean in New Jersey. Yeah, hi, it's uh, you know, what bothers me about all this we're talking about now, uh, we, we've got our butt kicked from the elections that the Democrats have set up. Um, election week instead of election day, mail-in ballots, early voting, all that stuff was set up by the Democrats and we got blocked. Now, yep. we're catching up. We're suggesting do all this stuff early and get out there just in case something happens on election day. Go out early, vote why can't the, Dem the the Republicans come up with something that'll screw up the Democrats? Well, what, what we can do is follow the damn law and use the loopholes that the law provides. The law provides for early voting, and the votes that are cast early are almost entirely accurately counted, and there's no fraud. They're just cast early. And you can't get over the fact that we lost by two to one people that voted early, and we win by two to one people that vote on election day. You just so, can't make so that change. up. You can't make uh, that adapt. up. Uh, don't, uh, don't, become, don't focus on principle as to how we're doing as to whether you can trust uh, early voting. You can. And early and mail-in voting, uh, you also can trust if it's through the post office, if it's not through a drop box. It's, it's kind of like when you're always late, to get to work, wake up early. Yeah. <laughs> and go to right. work. That's right. Now, George in New York has an interesting question. Roxana. George? George? Mr. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mr. Morris, uh, regarding uh, the illegals and with all the crime and everything else, and they're going to turn, these 7 to 10 million are going to turn into uh, 40 million within 10, 15 years as they bring in their relatives. Now, when Trump, hopefully, you know, uh, becomes uh, president, what techniques would he be able to use to dispose of okay. the ones Three. who are already here? Three. Okay, uh, George. So I have my... I'm up against a break now, so i got to answer you quickly. First of all, Trump will eliminate automatic citizenship for people who are related to people who came in illegally. You have to have come here illegally for your children to become citizens. Good. Secondly, he will go after all people who were, came here illegally and committed crimes while they were here. That will be an easy thing to deport. Uh, Bill Clinton deported 300,000 a year of those kind of people, and Trump will continue to do that and ex expand that. And thirdly, he's going to be very focused on eliminating anybody from coming into the U.S. who has already tried to come in and been denied entry. Those are three easy targets he can pick off. And out of the 7 million illegal people in the United States, you can probably get rid of 2 to 3 million of them simply with those steps. Now, let me just quick question, Dick. You know, I always wonder when they deport a criminal, 
I would rather see that guy go to jail or whatever's happening and well, deport him and then he's running around well, we free. Do. We do. The law is that if you've committed a crime in the U.S., you get sentenced in oh, the U.S., good. serve your time in the U.S., Dang and then as you're leaving prison, we gal-collar you and put you on an airplane. It's been an honor to be here with you, Mr. Morris. Thank you.